Hey, before we start the show, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Hackbright Academy. Hackbright Academy is an all-women coding boot camp in San Francisco. They were founded with the mission to provide women with a personalized path to a software engineering career. One of the most impressive things about the school is the tight-knit community they've created. They truly believe in empowering each other and working to change the ratio of women in the tech industry. Hackbright firmly believes that when you combine a community of like-minded, ambitious women and a network of strong support, the possibilities are endless. Check out their programs at hackbrightacademy.com. A lot of my path really starts this thing I built in college, which was this Linux-based audio web server. Like my, my process when I'm building something, um, sketch a bunch of stuff. It's very easy to do, like I said, kind of like sketch with code. Like you can try things out. You can erase things very easily. And the way I've, I've built things in the past, like you don't really build these things with scaling in mind necessarily. My name is John Buda. I'm the co-founder and lead developer of Transistor.fm. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how John Buda took his web dev and audio experience and created the last podcasting host you'll ever need. All this and more on Code Story. Building on the early tech he learned, John Buda became a Ruby on Rails champion, building his products using all of the components of the language. Having created a Spotify-like music platform way before Spotify existed, he gained large amounts of experience in what is required to host and process audio files. While working at Cards Against Humanity, he created his second podcast hosting solution, in time to host a single and very popular podcast. This early solution would later become what is known today as Transistor.fm. Tell me, tell me about Transistor.fm. Tell, tell me what it is. So Transistor.fm is a podcast hosting and analytics platform. So if you wanted to start a podcast, like this show, for instance, you need to a place to host your audio files. Uh, you need a place that generates an RSS feed for you with all the relevant information about your show and your episodes. Uh, we also need a, a place to track you know, your analytics and who's listening and a place that will help you distribute to all these other platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and, and all those other places. So that's, that's what we have. Uh, it's a subscription software service that helps you publish your podcast, helps you build a website for your podcast. We have embeddable audio players that you can embed on your existing website if you don't want to use our websites. Yeah, we just try to make it as easy as easy as possible to to get your podcast out to the world once you've recorded it. Cool. Well, uh, so tell me tell me how you got started building that product. I helped build uh, a podcasting platform that still exists today. For whatever reason, it didn't, you know, it, it was just a, 
a lot of things sort of fell apart to the point where I sort of just exited and, and I'm no longer part of it. I think it's been sold at least once. After that, like I was, you know, I was a little bitter about the situation, about how it ended. Um, I think it sort of things ended in like 2015 for me with that. Um, I was always still really interested in podcasting. I was around a lot of podcasting. Um, I was at the time working uh, full-time at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. And with it, they built, it was more like a co-working space office for cards and a bunch of other um, people in Chicago. And they built a couple different recording studios for podcasting. Uh, because the, you know some of the some of the people involved in cards were really into podcasting and just wanted to help support the community and have the space where people could come and record their shows. So I was still around it, and um, people in the office were were using this product that I had helped build. One of the projects at Cards Against Humanity, they always do these like big holiday stunts, these events. And one of the, like two years ago, they were going to fund a year of a podcast called the Good News Podcast, which was like this daily podcast with good, happy news in the morning for like five minutes every day. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I was part of the technology team of cards. I was in a meeting and they were, you know, somebody was like, well, we need, you know, if we're going to do this podcast, we need somewhere to host it. And we could use, you know, this product that I had helped work on. And I was like, how about... I build one, I build a new one, and if it's done in time, we can use that. And they kind of agreed to it. Like they were they're very supportive in, in people having projects outside of their job, which is super cool. And so I I worked on it, um, got it to a point where it could basically, you know, run a show. It would have an RSS feed and a website, really basic analytics. I mean it was like the the bones of what transistor is now. There was no billing, there was no, you know, nothing was hooked up to Stripe at that point. But it was like fully functional. Um, it had to be ready by January 1st of 2018. Uh, so it was kind of like running, you know, running one podcast that got a lot of traffic actually. It's like 30,000 subscribers. Um, so it, it launched and it went really well. Like there was no problems with the, with the technology at all. You know, obviously Cards has a big reach, so they're gonna email their their newsletter they're going to email all the people that uh, purchased this holiday package to to listen to the show and like immediately it had a ton of listeners at that point my co-founder justin jackson had gotten a hold of me uh, we we had met in 2014 at xoxo we met there and sort of like i don't know hit it off like we just you know easy to talk to and like kind of wanted we stayed in touch kind of wanted to like work on something at some point we had no idea what this is obviously you know four years before anything happened but stayed in touch and Justin got a hold of me in early 2008 and said hey I'm you know really want to put my energy into something this year and I know you're working on Transistor and I was just wondering if you know you wanted a partner and initially I was like nah I don't I kind of want to try this on my own because like things kind of went badly with the first attempt at this podcasting stuff but the more I thought about it, the more our talents and sort of like core skills like really overlapped and complemented each other. Like I, I was a developer and sort of web designer and he was more into marketing and product stuff. And I just, I don't know how to market it. Like I'll, I'll tweet about it once and then be like, well, that's good. I just marketed 
so the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Like, I might as well give this a shot with like with Justin is someone I would kind of look up to for you know marketing and product stuff, and he has a big following and and has done a lot of podcasts and kind of knows the the market. Um, so we agreed to uh, form a company legally and do a 50-50 partnership and it's kind of been off off to the races since early 2008 2018 so what about what about your your tech path tell me about your path uh to get to where you are now a lot of my path really starts this thing i built in college which was this linux based audio like web server that would run in a network like either in a dorm or in a house and you could fill it with mp3s and stuff because obviously you get to school and you have access to broadband internet and you're like i'm going to download all the mp3s and you could uh you could control like the audio playing out of your computer which was hooked up to a stereo from your computer and like build playlists and like play all this stuff but you could then give access to like other people in the dorm or in the house and they could control the audio coming out of these coming out of the stereo so there was like multiple iterations of that i open sourced it at one point it's i think i ended up pulling it into my github as a just like an archive i doubt it still runs but it might it's sort of like itunes for the web almost like so after college let's see like the market was not great for jobs i ended up starting my own company doing freelance web design it's mostly like just simple web php websites and i think really early versions of wordpress and just found clients and kind of did the whole entrepreneurial thing I, from early on. Like I just, there wouldn't, I was living in Florida at the time and there really were not, the market was not great for finding a job. So I just sort of made my own, kind of scraped by. Started a company with some friends doing web design who I grew up with. We, we had this guy contact us from California who found the, this like open source music player I was just talking about he found it online and got a hold of us and was like wanted to start this uh, web-based like digital audio marketplace it's basically like uh, kind of like it was it was an it was an iTunes or I think eMusic if you're familiar with that um, basically you just like purchase credits and you could download mp3s and we had this um, he had this idea to do this stuff because he was in the music industry so we ended up building uh, starting to build this project for him um, and that was it's called mtracks mtraks.com we ended up a couple of us ended up joining his company and like leaving this other company we built and moving to san diego for a year and, and working with him and building this thing ultimately it wasn't successful it's like really really hard to make money on selling digital music like it's the margins are so low you have to have you know millions of customers to make any money but it was a really, really fascinating project. Like it was, I think it was too early, I think for that. The cool thing about it was that it was our, uh, my friend Ben and I worked on this uh, together and it was the first project we built with Ruby on Rails. So this was, I think version 1.0 or before. I think we both really, really loved it. Like we both, I think we we're getting sick of PHP at that point and just really loved what, you know, 37 signals and and that whole team was doing with with Ruby and Rails and nice. So so Rails is your go to for back end and front end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've recently recently kind of uh, dove into Vue JS. 
as you know front end front end needs have grown and you know interactivity and stuff like that needs to be a little bit a little bit better than what you can ideally build with something like jQuery or whatever. Um, never really got into React or anything, but I don't know, sort of took a liking to view. Sure. You know, it's interesting that you say that you haven't really gotten into React. Are, are you of the mindset that you, you get a tool that is still fresh enough and that works well? And are you the mindset like, I don't really need to go learn something new because I can just, I know what works and I know it'll work well. Yeah. Yeah. I w- yeah. I'm definitely of that mindset. Like I, I try as much as I can to avoid like the hot tool of the week <laughs> because it just changes, it changes too fast and you just, it, it's impossible to keep up to the point where I feel like you're not going to get anything done if you don't just stick to what you know. I mean, they all, yeah, in the end, they all do the same thing. They render a web page on the internet. I don't know. I've seen a lot of people sort of just, I don't know, just kind of like get a little bit distracted by the new shiny technology. Um, but, but for whatever reason, Vue, I think I've used, the, I've done a little bit of Angular, never really got into React, but like Vue, from what it looks to me, is like a good combination of both of those. Um, has a great community behind it. Just sort of, I read the documentation and it like kind of made sense. Had it up and running pretty quickly. Yeah, so I probably stick with that for a while for the front end. So you built the MVP, so to speak, and this might even be pre-MVP. Tell me about that process, taking it, so pre-MVP to to what you might call MVP. Uh, so it had one show on it, and then you start pushing the agenda. Tell me about building that that product. How, how did that go? Well, I sort of already knew the, like I kind of knew what needed to be done from previous experience, right? Like uh, a podcast needs mostly needs an RSS feed, which these other services are going to read from, but it also needs a place to host your audio files. In this case, it needed a website. So I knew I kind of needed to build that into it. I mean, the process there was like, like my, my process when I'm building something a lot of times is sketch a bunch of stuff on paper and generate a rails app. Like I know, I know, I kind of know in the back of my mind, like what sort of, what the data model is going to look like. At first I take things pretty quickly and I just sort of, I'm almost like sketching with code. I mean, Ruby on Rails is really good with that. Like you can, it's very easy to experiment. It's very easy to do, like I said, kind of like sketch with code. Like you can try things out. You can erase things very easily. You know, you can make, make mistakes. Sketch with code, you know, people may hear that that aren't developers and think you're using some sort of IDE or WYSIWYG drag and drop kind of thing. But what you're talking about is using code to rapid prototype, for lack of a better way to say it, but but almost the code you're writing in Rails is your brush, um, your canvas, your paint, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, would, I would kind of liken it to that. It is, yeah, it is a lot like rapid prototyping. I mean, I think that's one of the one of the great things about Rails, and I mean, there's certainly out there frameworks that have come out afterward after that that you can do the same thing now. But yeah, it wasn't really a it wasn't really a rigid process at all. I mean, it was just me, so I could kind of do whatever I wanted. So how has that changed since Justin's joined the team? So how do you guys put together, put your heads together, and figure out okay, this is what's most important next to build? We've been changing that a bit lately. Like we 
you know, once we we officially launched in August of 2018, you know, we had we had a decent roadmap of what we needed to do. Like, there's obviously you know the basics of of what a podcast platform needs to needs to do, but some of it is based on customer feedback. Like, we have you know customer chat, and we get a lot of feedback from customers saying, "Hey, it would be great if you did this," or "What about this?" Um, some of it is just following the industry and seeing what's needed. We don't generally want to listen to customers too much. I think it's easy to sort of hear something from a couple customers and think it's a trend and to sort of jump into it without much planning. So we'd have, you know, up until up until a few weeks ago, we had we just had this huge backlog of stuff that was a lot of just ideas we had or customer-driven ideas that was just like we'd throw it into this bucket that is like the backlog or the whatever you want to call it. Just a bunch of features that we may or may not ever get to. Recently, we've sort of rethought that um, Basecamp, which used to be 37 Signals, had this book come out called Shape Up, which is sort of a detailed look into how they run their company and, and build their product and plan it out. They do things a little bit differently. I mean, they have a much bigger team than just two people, but but they sort of have this idea that you you can have these ideas, but you need to take the time to shape them and like really kind of vet them and like bet they, they have this term like the betting table so they bet on these ideas you're not really planning anything you're betting because it's like you don't know if it's going to work or not it sort of really resonated with us so we sort of rethought how we want to want to do things and we're starting our first cycle it's like six week cycle of building a new feature that we have been like shaping for lack of a better term and that was that was definitely the result of a lot of customer feedback over a number of months of people saying like hey we would really like to see this or hey we've thought about this but it's it wasn't a it was a pretty big feature and it wasn't something that you can just jump into and start working on so we really had to sort of talk about it and and uh, you know sketch a few things out on on paper and on a whiteboard and I think we have it to a point now where we can start working on it but there's still a lot of like refinement that's going to happen while we're building it it's, it's not like we know exactly what we're building it's like we still we know what the end goal we want to be but we don't necessarily know exactly how we're going to build it it, it sounds like the vetting process is a, a fair amount of like hypothesizing of what you think the market saying combined with what you guys see as the you know the product makers the market makers so to speak and you know maybe even running that against some some data or some more research over time and letting it sort of volatilize uh in both of your minds is that right yeah pretty much yeah i mean i think at the end of this six weeks we'll have something that we're going to release and we're still not going to know we still won't know if it's going to work and it might not be totally done but it will be like we will probably cut certain things from this feature as we build it, but it'll it'll get to a point where it's like, well, this is this is like most of what we wanted. This is good enough to release into the world. Um, we have these certain people who will be able to use this, even though it's you know eighty percent of what maybe other people wanted. Um, and then you sort of iterate on that, and you have another, you know, maybe the next six, six weeks you work on something different. After that, you come back to this other feature and sort of add to it or refine it after you've sort of done the planning and the shaping of and the vetting of of what you're going to add to it. You're going through the vetting process. I get that part, but but set the vetting aside. What what you're describing, could it be a ready, fire, aim sort of scenario where you're going to build it, put it out there and then refine it over time? Or is it not quite that extreme? 
Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the six weeks, like one of the one of the things that that Basecamp talks about is that you can still like you can still kill it. You you could kill this whole feature within any time in the six weeks, right? If you're not gonna make the deadline of six weeks, like you basically have to shelve it. So it, it just means that like whatever you planned is too big for a six week uh, sprint or iteration or whatever you wanna call it. So, you know, our goal is to, to end this thing, end this six week iteration with something. We'll get something out. We'll get feedback from people who are using it and we'll iterate on it. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take all this feedback in and sort of absorb it, think about it, and talk about it and shape it again into something into a bunch of changes that we may make or we may not make like it's you know kind of up to us to decide right so the the us part this this is interesting so you're you're uniquely positioned having built something like transistor before from a development standpoint and you've been you know in this business for a while and and right now it's just you and justin so do you foresee bringing on more team members in the future are you guys just gonna try to sprint and make this happen on your own uh yeah i think we do we i think we have to be cautious about it we would like to we've had we've had some discussions about it so earlier in the process i would say this this past spring um, we really looked into the idea of getting investment money, but we're sort of, we're like really on the fence about it. Like we had people contact us. We talked to a few, a few places and I think neither of us really wanted to take money if we didn't have to, right? Like I was still working a full-time job. Justin, Justin has his own thing uh, going on the side. He has some other, other projects he runs that, that bring in money. So like neither of us necessarily needed the money to live. And we were, I think we were pretty close to taking money, but we we ultimately said no. And I think it was a good decision to not give up part of the company. But we also really, at that time, didn't know what we would do with the money. Like we weren't ready to hire anybody, really want to spend money on marketing. But I think now we're getting to the point now where we're both working on this full time. We're both, this is our primary source of income. I don't think we're ready to hire another full-time person but we have definitely talked about hiring uh, somebody in customer support. I think that would probably be our first hire, uh, just to kind of take some of that load off of off of us, because we're doing, you know, we're doing everything really. It's like we're doing the coding, the design, the business aspect, the customer support, uh, the marketing. I think right now it's really beneficial to us to be really close to the customers and close to the customer support, just to kind of get an idea of like what people are having problems with. But there will be a point where it becomes a little bit too much for us to handle on a day-to-day basis, and I think that would be that would be our first hire. You know, which is it's scary. Like I haven't really, I haven't been in that position. I don't think Justin has either. But like hiring someone else that you're now managing under your company, <laughs> it's another it's another like level and layer of stress on top of all the other things we're trying to do. You want to hire someone to, to alleviate the stress of customer support, but now you're managing that person which is a different type of stress and you sort of have to like really really weigh that but yeah there will there will be a point i mean it it would be great to hire another engineer too tell me about a mistake that you made in building transistor and and how you and justin you know responded to it or you if it was pre-justin there haven't been any massive catastrophic mistakes but i would say like we we made the decision, or I guess I did, uh, 
for the technology part of it to use to use a web server that wasn't really like fully I don't know, production ready yet. It was <laughs> so we we do we do a lot with like we host your own we host a website for you uh, through Transistor and you can point your own domain to Transistor and use your custom domain. But we also wanted to provide free SSL certificates to people um, via Let's Encrypt and you can automate that stuff to some extent uh, using you know like really production ready web servers like Nginx and, and Apache but it's kind of a pain and like I don't really want to do a lot of like DevOps and like server work like I do, I do like I have to because I'm the one running it but um, so we ended up using this server called Caddy C-A-D-D-Y which is has has since reached 1.0 they're working on a version 2 right now but it basically handles automatic SSL certificate generation and renewal via Let's Encrypt. Like every 90 days they renew. And uh, it was easy enough to get set up, but there was one like Sunday or something like that where it just all kind of crashed down and all like our certificates just expired, but we didn't know. So, so like our website didn't work, our dashboard didn't work, all the RSS feeds stopped working. And it was like, I was busy and Justin obviously couldn't fix it because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the weeds and that stuff. So like, and I'm like racing to fix this stuff. I'm like, I don't know, like what, I don't know what's wrong. And like, I don't, you know, like emailing their support, but it's their small team too. So yeah, I don't know. It was maybe a little bit of a mistake to depend on it that early, but I think a lot of good came of that. Like I, we learned a lot, obviously we learned put up, you know, we set up some monitoring for SSL certificates. Um, we ended up really getting a hold of the people that built Caddy and actually building a good relationship with them. Like the the guy who, who wrote it emailed me directly and was explaining exactly what went wrong and like how they were going to fix it and like all their future plans for the next version and all this stuff. And it was like actually really cool, like a really kind of a good experience. And none of our customers were really mad. I mean, they were, they were understanding. But I think Justin and I have more feel like just felt bad. Like it's obviously on our shoulders to, to make sure this stuff is running all the time. But, you know, we've, you know, through, we, we also record a podcast called Build Your SaaS, which kind of um, we're trying to talk about our journey from starting a company through building it and all the mistakes and stuff we make. So we've, we've been pretty open about it and try to really kind of talk about any huge mistakes or problems we have. No, definitely, definitely doing a good job there. Thanks. But my question is, so what does the future look like for the product from the tech side right now where you sit today? I know you're about to start in a six-week cycle, vetting cycle, but even beyond that, what does it look like? Well, I mean, I think it's a it's a good mix of of building new features like improving accuracy and performance, accuracy of, you know, things like analytics of who's listening to your to your show. And all that stuff is like from a technology standpoint, like podcasting is, it's still based on RSS. So it's, it's still, I don't know. I, I hesitate to say like antiquated, <laughs> it's not that old, but like, it's still, it's built on like ancient technology by modern standards on the technology side of things, sort of keeping our, our ear to the ground as to what's kind of what's coming up with podcasting. Like there, I think there's, there are some things that might change in the nearest future with how podcasting works like i don't know if we're ever going to leave rss entirely but like i think some things are going to be built on top of rss now but really for us as a as a platform i mean as we grow and have more shows and have more downloads like it's it's kind of a 
traffic. I mean, the, the biggest bottleneck is traffic and bandwidth. So we just have to keep keep aware of like what's going on with how many shows we have, how many downloads we have, how many how many requests we're getting to all of our different applications. Just making sure those are uh, running efficiently. And I guess with with Rails and the way I've I've built things in the past, like you don't really build these things with scaling in mind necessarily. Like it's it's a good problem to have problems with scale. I mean, you want to kind of be ahead of it. What what is coming for podcasting then, and how does that affect how you build your tech? Podcasting still at this point is based on advertising, right? Like it's primarily revenue is is driven by advertising, and in order to accurately sell ads, you obviously need to know like how many people are listening, who's listening. That data is that data is still pretty ambiguous to a certain extent. Like you don't really have that much information on people and who's listening. So there are, there's a number of projects, I think some open source, some not that are being built around analytics, kind of capturing better analytics. And then there's also this idea of building like authentication and authorization layers on top of RSS for things like listener supported podcast feeds and stuff like that. Um, So I think it'll still be, it'll still be RSS, but I think there's, there's a handful of projects that that really want to sort of like build a layer on top of it to be able to you know give access to to an rss feed for people who have paid for it so they can pay the creators directly instead of depending on ads hard to tell if any of that's going to work out like people have come to expect things to be free you know for better or worse like podcasts are free for the most part we have some walled gardens right now like spotify has been doing some of their own content which i think is blocked unless you pay for spotify so that's sort of the future of it, I think, is a lot of it is, I mean, I hate to say it because this, this is a code podcast, but like a lot of it is just like, it's not necessarily code in this in this business. It's like, you're sort of still predicting like how, how the podcast market is going to go and which direction it's going to go in. Build something that's solid, that is flexible, that can react to the shifts in the market or changes. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's it's an exciting market to be in. It still is like it's, it's it's a huge market. It's still growing. It's still it's still exciting. Like there, I, I think we're still at a, a stage where like we can sort of define what it's going to be, and not let some monolithic company take it over. So yeah, we're you know we're just happy to happy to be a part of it and kind of want to help uh, help push that platform forward. So with Transistor, you know, and with the increased in popularity of podcasts right now comes the increase of you know say podcasting tools right so with transistor how are you guys setting yourselves apart from the other hosting tools that are out there um we have we've had actually a hard time defining that uh until i think recently like a lot of people have asked us that and you want to you want to have a good answer for it but sometimes the answer is well we're basically doing everything the other company's doing. But the more the more we thought about it, like our secret weapon really has been our customer support. Justin's done a really good job of this. Uh, you know, I can hop in when I can with, with some technical technical help with the customer support side of things. But, you know, Justin will really take the time out of his day to hop on a Skype call with a customer for an hour and like walk them through. And, and you know, sometimes he'll record it and send it to them or like send it to me to watch. I think that has been kind of our 
secret weapon is just like really being responsive with the customer support and really helpful. And a lot of people are getting into podcasting who have listened to podcasts, but are not necessarily like tech savvy. Like they, they know they want to start one, but it's still, it's not necessarily a straightforward process. Like, you know, a lot of people don't, they don't know what an RSS feed is or like why you need to have one or, or that you're not necessarily uploading audio directly to Apple. Like, like people are like, how do I upload my audio to Apple? Uh, well, I mean, it's, you, you don't, but like, why, why would anyone think you, you're not? So, you know, a lot of it is just really explaining, try to, you know, trying to explain and just help people sort of navigate something that's, that's really new and unfamiliar to them. You, you guys foresee building more into the technology around the education of the process and maybe even more integrated support. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have, we've definitely thought about it. I mean, there's, there's still a lot with, a lot with the onboarding process, I guess you'd call it of, you know, you want to sign up, you want to start a podcast after that, you really don't know what to do. I mean, even, even up to, and after like adding your first episode, it's like, what do you do now? Um, you know, we allow people to import their RSS feeds from other services in the transistor. And like, once you've imported your podcast, like what now, what do you do? And, and we have, you know, we have some help documents. We have some instructions, but it's not really, it's not really like in their face necessarily. So there's certainly quite a bit that can be done around that. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Personally, like I, I may have left my full-time job earlier. Uh, it was, it was getting tough to work on two things at once. Transistor was mainly after hours and weekends and you know, I, I loved working at Cartoons Humanity, loved the people there, but like probably could have done with leaving a bit earlier. Did that cause any strain in you and Justin's relationship or in the delivery of the product or anything like that? No, not, not really. I mean, it wasn't internally, it was causing some conflict. There's obviously big, you know, big plans, things I want to do. And just like, I don't want to, I don't want to become unhealthy in yeah, I don't, I don't want to work 24 hours a day or 18 hours a day or whatever. I still obviously value, you know, I value my health and stuff like that. So it was just, it was more becoming a, an internal conflict about what I really wanted and how I kind of wanted to live my life. And I mean, Justin was, Justin was supportive of it. He was, you know, he, I think he wanted me to, he wanted me to leave. He was, but he's like, you know, leaving already and it all, it all worked out well in the end, but probably could have done with kind of work moving to it full time a little bit earlier. But it's a, it's a, it's a scary thought. Like you're leaving a team that you know and like. You're basically taking a huge pay cut, and in the U.S. anyway, like Justin's in Canada, but in the U.S. anyway, now you have to like worry about health insurance, which is kind of a dumb thing. But it's, it's such a huge thing that most people worry about when they want to leave their job or start their own, start their own thing. So yeah, it took a while. It took a while to finally make the decision. But uh, what advice would you give someone just getting started out? Um, on something like building something like Transistor or their own project, don't don't get discouraged. It's exciting to build something. I don't get discouraged if it doesn't take off right away. You know, make sure like if you're on the technology side of things, make sure you also take the time to build relationships outside of of that, like in the real world with other people who are building things who are who are in different different roles. I think one of the best things I ever did was as a developer, go to 
design conferences. I was always really interested in, in design. Um, it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't my degree. It wasn't like my main focus. Because web development is interesting because it's, you know, it's coding and it's design. So it's like, you can't really have one without the other. As a developer, you're always going to be, you're going to be like exposed to this stuff to design. And, and like, I was interested in like why people were designing things the way they were. And the more I get into it, the more you can learn code on your own. You can learn it from the web. You can learn it on a course online. And it's, it's great to connect with other developers at conferences and stuff like that. But I don't know. I really like, I went to a, f a number of design conferences and just really enjoyed talking and meeting with people who were just in a completely different skill set and kind of learning about about their process and sort of the differences, but also also the similarities. And I would say like, as a, as a developer, like I was one of the only developers at a design conference, like it's not a bad spot to be. <laughs> like designers, they, uh, they want to work with developers and developers should probably want to work with designers. And that's, that's where you're going to meet some of your, you know, future business partners. Like I met Justin at a conference that was not at all about programming. It was about internet culture and, and like stuff like that. So try to try to branch out. I would say uh, don't pigeonhole yourself into one industry. Like it's it's a big world and there's a lot of overlap. Well, John, I really appreciate your time on the Code Story podcast today. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart, co-produced and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.